My purpose is to leave people and places better than what I found them. Welcome to the Purposeful Story Podcast, where we interview entrepreneurs, drivers, and social impactors who use purpose as the driver to achieve greatness. My name is Kobe Mponsa, and I'm here to provide you with priceless value that will last a lifetime. So let's get right into it. All right, so today we have Shelby Weaver, owner of Mac House Inc., a self-service sneaker customization studio and experience. She's also going to be launching a company soon called Makeway um, that sells sneakers and streetwear for women. To top it off, she's also the director of basketball advancement for the Toronto Raptors. Um, You know, Purposeful Story family, you guys know I'm all about having people on the show who are purpose-driven tell their story. And I seen a video on Instagram of one of my friends. He was customizing his own shoe on, on at a store, and I was like, "What? This this exists in Toronto?" So I just had to dig in, did some research, and then Shelby Shelby popped up. And as I dug in more, her accomplishments just kept growing. So Shelby, thanks for coming on the show today. Appreciate you. Thank you for having me. So Shelby, how are you feeling right now in this instance? I'm feeling good. I think um, it's been a long few months for everybody. Been a lot of change, a lot of um, self-reflection, a lot of time to think. Um, But honestly, I'm feeling pretty good. I think, you know, I've been able to continue to work through this time um, and not be hit too much financially. And so I think that takes a lot of the burden away, which I've, I've kind of been able to appreciate and sort of, you know, stay in a good headspace. So, um, yeah, so pretty good. Honestly, I'm feeling hopeful, I guess maybe is a good word. Okay. All right. And where were you born and raised? So I was born and raised in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Um, I moved to Toronto, like right when I graduated university, um, which I guess would have been like 2011. So I think I was, how old was I? 22. Yeah. So I was born and raised there. Still go back quite a bit. Um, like love it there. Definitely a lot of my roots there. Definitely a lot of like why I feel like I am who I am today is is because of like where I grew up and how I grew up. And so, yeah, love the East Coast. Got you. So Shelby Weaver, grammar's finest. You won a provincial championship back in in '07. Wow, you bring it up the yes. bring it up the old receipts. Got, I did. Gotta, yes, gotta, I did. Got to dig in the crates. Got to dig in high the crates. School, high school championship back in the day, for sure. That was my senior year too. My grade twelve years. So that was a good. That was a good way to go out. What was what was that experience like for you? And what was was that your first big win in the sport of basketball? Yeah, that actually probably would have been like my first championship. I think, like, if you look at like a full season, I definitely played basketball at a high level for like most of high school played younger but I wasn't very good to be honest and I like a switch flipped in me as I was heading into high school that I actually wanted to be good at basketball and take it really seriously and made a pretty big transition from my style of play from junior high to high school and so um, I think like 
I wasn't super naturally talented at basketball. So I had to work really hard just to like upkeep my career in high school. And so I think I did a lot of that, those things early. Like I was lifting, running, like working out, like things that college players do and that professional players do, like I was doing in high school and a lot of my friends were doing in high school. So to have that kind of payout in your grade 12 year was like a big deal. Like it was probably one of the first times outside of like academics that I put my mind to something and like achieved it. So I think that for me was like a, was a cool moment. And I look back and, and I can still remember a lot about it. So clearly it's like burned into my mind. Got you. So you, I guess you continue to play basketball at St. Francis Xavier University. Yeah, I was supposed to play basketball at St. FX and then um, I went um, and I got really sick. I had caught kind of like a parasite of sorts when I went to Ecuador oh in the summer before my, my first year of university and just like couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. And medically I wasn't all the way there to play. And so I actually decided not to play in my first year. Um, and then I, I never played after that, which is like, very sad and ominous, but you know, as my career has taken a turn, I've like learned to appreciate it because um, figuring out who you are without basketball was like a really difficult process for me. Cause I was, I very much identified as an athlete and as a basketball player, my culture, my friends, like the, the ways in which I moved around the city and in the circles that I had were very much like, um, like ingrained in basketball and so figuring out who you are when you're not the basketball player anymore was like a very hard process, but I was sort of pushed into it earlier than I wanted to. Um, and as hard as that was, I think it was the best thing for me because when I came out of university, I was like ready, you know, like I was ready to like take that next step in my life. I was ready to like get into the workforce. And I think that allowed me to hit the ground running at a really young age with my career and so ultimately i'm grateful for it but it was it was quite devastating at the time hmm. so you see a lot of um athletes now transitioning into the world of business and sports mm -hmm. right and um i think you know being a being an athlete you're kind of you might be in a bit of a tunnel vision right you don't realize that there's so many other opportunities outside of being a specific athlete yeah. Um, but they're not, they're not popularized as much. Right. So what opened your eyes to those types of opportunities? I think it was like, just sort of obligation. Like when I stopped playing and I realized how much I missed the sport and how much it was, um, a source of like, not just like the sport and the competition, but just the community feel of it. I felt like these were things that I still wanted in my life. And so I had to figure out ways that I could get to that without playing anymore. And so that led me to coaching and working in community centers and different places in Toronto. When I moved, it led me to pursue sports as a full-time career. Like I had to, I was sort of forced to do it um, just out of like survival of like, I wanted to find something else that I could be good at that I could put my energy into because school for me I was good in school, don't get me wrong, and I was I was very diligent with my schoolwork. I was a great student, but it didn't bring me a lot of joy. There was no topics that I took, no classes that I took, no majors that really piqued my interest in any type of way that was at all close to what like the wins and losses and the ups and downs of sports gave me. And so, um, yeah, it was out of necessity for me, but you know, it's given me good perspective as I've moved into my role with the Raptors of like pushing people to explore that earlier because the worst time to explore that is when it's been snatched away from you. And now you're 
high and dry. Like the best thing that you can do is explore those things from like a place of power, I would say. So you're in the league or you're playing professional basketball, you're playing college, high school basketball. You're also using your time on the side to like explore different things. So when you eventually get there, you're ready. You've thought about things a little bit. You've had chats with different people. You've read on different topics, researched different things. Maybe you did some internships. Maybe you, you know, started your own business. There's just so much more you can do from a place of power versus a place of desperation. And, and when your time comes to the end of anything, whether it be a basketball playing career, your high school, your college, you graduate, it's always better to have a bit of a base that you can jump off of versus just like going in cold. And so that's, that's been a huge transition point for me and like recognizing how I can help other people see that earlier than I did. Got you. So fast forward to today, you know, you're now the director of basketball advancement for the Toronto Raptors. Mm -hmm. um, tell us what, cause you've been with the organization for a while now, but tell yeah. us what goes into getting to a position where you're at right now. What, how's that journey like? Yeah. Um, I started working on the business side of sports and now I'm more on sort of the basketball, like team front office personnel side. And so Honestly, I, I worked on the business side at first because I, I was interested in business for sure. Obviously, I have two businesses now, so clearly that's something that I that I like. Um, but I, growing up in Nova Scotia, I didn't have a lot of insight into like the basketball operations side. So I chose sports business because that's the side that I knew. So I started working on the business side, and I enjoyed every minute of the time, and I learned a lot. But it didn't fully satisfy like that competitive drive that I had and like that need to win and moving over to the basketball side. And when I moved, I realized that that was going to be a lot more um, satisfying for me and a lot more fulfilling. Um, and so I've had a lot of jobs at MLC and with the Raptors, like I've bounced around from different things. I've always prioritized, um, areas of growth, the right types of leaders and bosses that I was working for over position. And if you look at my resume, it's probably, if you look at the, what a traditional resume should look at, mine's a nightmare. I switch jobs every two years, six, sometimes even after six months. And it, they were all good opportunities and they were all um, switches and changes that my bosses encouraged me to take or that came out of nowhere that everybody was supportive of. But if you look at a traditional career path. It's certainly not one that people would recommend. And yet I've, I've had a lot of success and I've had a lot of um, growth and development opportunities because I've been really open to not just titles and, you know, staying in the same department and climbing that ladder. Like I've moved laterally and, and I've taken some chances in that space. And so that for me was a really big learning curve and also you know, just always being able to see the bigger picture. I had my first boss at MLSC was drove a lot of those things into me. And I was lucky because I was able to say yes to some things that people probably thought I was crazy for that, that really paid out for me in the, in the long term. Hmm. And when you were in being in the Raptors organization, did you take on positions that probably you were like, you had a bit of fear in, in you to take, like, it was like kind of like over what you might've expected, but you still pushed through. Were there positions like that? Yeah. Probably my first move from the business side to the basketball side. When I moved over to run our G league team, the G league team didn't exist. So wow. there was no team. We, we announced a G league team was, I asked me if I wanted to come and kind of run the basketball side. And I said, sure. And I went over there and it was just me. We hadn't hired a coach at that point. 
Wow. We maybe just talked about started talking about a coach. The only other person was a guy by the name of John Wiggins, who's our vice president of um, diversity and inclusion now, but he was going to run the basketball, the business side. And he had never worked for the organization before he had worked for Mississauga power, which was an NBL franchise at the time. And that was scary for me. The business side is very stable. You know, you do your things, you, you, it's, a corporate structure, right? So, you know, there's a lot of stability and the basketball side is not as stable. Like GMs, coaches get fired, people get fired all the time, move teams, move to the States, move different cities. Like there's a lot of um, chaos in that space and it's, it's just a totally different world. And so I moved over to the G League side and I was essentially like responsible for getting an entire team up and running in like about three months. And I knew nothing about the basketball side in the sense of like, I didn't know the structure of the G League. I, I really did not know anything about it. I knew a lot about basketball, but I didn't know a lot about the G League and what it was and what it was supposed to be. And so that was a huge learning experience and a lot of scared moments, let's call it that. But it was awesome. Like, I still look back. I'm like, when am I ever going to be able to say that I started a team from scratch? Like, we yeah. just – John and I walked in the the Hershey Center at the time, the South Paramount Fine Food Center, and, like, we were like, where are we going to put a locker room? Where are we going to practice? Like, where are our players going to live? Like, there's just like so many things that you don't even think of. Like, we need a washer and dryer. Like, but nothing in here is going to work. Like, there was just so many things that you don't think about that we had to like figure out. And it was like such a challenge and such a cool thing to go through. But it was really scary at the time. I was very scared. I can imagine. I was young too. Like, when I look back, I was young. Hmm. So in, in your, in your role, what are some of the things that you, you do business wise that people, I guess, wouldn't know about? So I think what probably people don't know about MBA player development and MBA development structures is like all the behind the scenes things that go into like the deliberate nature in which we ensure that our players are growing both as people and as basketball players. And I think that's a huge misconception. Like, Yes, we want to build better basketball players. Yes, we want to win championships. But the way that you do that is by making sure that our players and our staff as people are happy, are healthy, are growing, are developing, are learning, are challenged. Like that as a whole is, seems like a simple concept, but it's very hard to execute. And mm -hmm. especially in a very hyper-competitive environment, especially in a highly volatile environment where things are changing all the time and so a huge part of what we do and what I do on a daily basis is just to figure out how to make sure that everybody feels supported and that everybody has the resources that they need to continue to grow and develop as people versus just basketball players because ultimately that's you're going to grow as a basketball player if you're growing as a person right and so that's a huge part of what, what I do and sort of making sure that every area of the business of maybe not the business of the team the business side is a little bit different but of the team side is aligned on what those things are and how we're supporting people and the things that we need to do in order to like get them there got you got you now shifting gears a bit to the the business side of of things outside of um basketball mm -hmm. you have two businesses right now you have mac house and then you're soon to launch uh make way yeah how did you so I know, just just wild. How did That's you come crazy. up with? How oh did you? God, what am I doing? <laughs> how did you? How did you come up with the idea to create a custom sneaker store? Tell us about what what you know. How did you guys get there? Like, who who thinks of that? Like, that's just it's such an interesting idea, but it's just like 
out of the loop at the same time. I know. So, okay. So here's how it all started. So I am a very, if you can't tell from this conversation thus far, I'm like a really hyper person and I'm very on go, go, go all the time. And I work at very high speeds and I'm constantly on. And so as I worked through my mental health and my mental wellness over the last, like however many years that I've been working in sports and really trying to sort of create some type of like mental and emotional peace, because I struggled a lot with anxiety. I struggled a lot with panic attacks and a lot of that had to do with my mind. It wasn't, um, I wasn't the type of person that had anxiety and panic attacks based on what was going on, on around me. It was like my internal struggles. So they weren't reactionary to something bad in my life. It was, things were great in the external parts of my life and my job and in my, my um, friendships and my family. And it was like internally is what I was struggling with. And I realized very quickly I had to like address that because it was really affecting like the way that I was living my life. And so part of that, a, ver a very say small part, like it didn't save my life or anything, but a very small part of that was finding like a creative outlet and something that I could do instead of just like turning on the TV and like, listening to whatever on the television or listening to a podcast was like doing something with my hands. And my mom is very creative. My mom's always, my mom can pick up anything. She's so she's made jewelry. She can do anything and everything when it comes to creative stuff. And I did a lot of that growing up with her and it's not something that I, and I played a lot of instruments and music and I, I did a lot of things like that growing up, but sports ultimately like pulled me away from those things. And so that was one of the things I wanted to get back to. But the catch 45 with that is like, one, I don't have a lot of time. And two, I don't like doing things that I'm not good at. So like people are like, well, just draw. And I'm like, but I suck at drawing. I'm like, yeah, it's about the creative process. And I'm like, that doesn't work for me. I don't like doing things I'm not good at. It doesn't make me happy. Just sitting there and drawing something that looks terrible to me is not like, <laughs> it's not peaceful. It's just going to upset me more, to be honest. So um, I had watched, like I'd seen a video somewhere of someone like painting a sneaker and I was like oh that's really cool like and there's really complex ways to paint sneakers and there's really easy coloring book type ways where you take the panels and you change the colors on them and off you go and so I was like well let me grab a couple bottles of paint and um and a paintbrush and like let's see if I can do this and so I did my first pair of sneakers for my boyfriend I think they're I don't know if he's on the in a on a call but I should pop up and try to grab them if he's not but um and they were really good. And I was like, this is really fun. And I really enjoyed it. And so I started painting my friend's sneakers. I started doing a lot of sneakers for the players. Uh, Cause there was like less stress of if I like screwed them up. I'm just like, well, just call Nike and ask for another pair. Like, I screwed <laughs> these up. I'm sorry. But I started doing it for them and everybody started to really like love it. And like people were asking me to do sneakers a lot. And I was like staying up till three o'clock in the morning painting sneakers Jeez. and but I was enjoying it. Like the time flew. Like I get home at 10 o'clock at night and be like, okay, I'm just going to paint this swoosh. And then I'd look at my clock and I've done the whole shoe and it's three o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, I need to go to bed. <laughs> like, what am I doing? So as that process continued and people asked me to keep doing shoes for them, I had a few people ask me to teach them how to do it. So some of my close friends were like, can I pop over to the house? And like, we do it together. Like, I want you to show me how. And the more I thought about that concept and the more I thought about how much joy and like peace it had brought me in a lot of ways, I'm like, this is really cool. Like people are paying money to go to paint night where they teach you to make this painting and you sit there and drink wine with your friends and paint. People go to pottery cafes and paint mm. pottery all the time. Like 
this is already happening, but like, why couldn't we do a studio like that for sneakers? And why can't we show people, you know, of any artistic ability that you can actually like do this on your own? And, and that's like where the idea for Macos was born. And I have like a very, um, very me character trait which like all of my friends know it's like if I have an idea I'm either doing it or it's gone forever like if I think up something I'm either putting it into action and it's happening or I'm never gonna do it like mm. I'll just forget about it and never and this is the one I was like I'm doing this and I did it and you know four or five months later my house was born got you so take us through if I'm if I'm a customer and I'm coming into to 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 Mac house what what is the process like yeah, so the process is like you would book your appointment online, especially during COVID. That's super important. Um, you'd bring in a pair of sneakers. You know, obviously a white leather sneaker is the most ideal canvas. Brand new is the most ideal. But, you know, you can use older shoes, use shoes that you want to bring back to life. You can use canvas shoes. You can really use anything except suede. You would come in. You would get a brief on the space and all the tools from one of our, um, like, session leaders. We call them, like, Mac Techs. Um, and they would kind of tell you like everything that's available to you. And then they would go through each person and ask what you're trying to do that day. So some people have a very clear idea of what they want to do. Um, they've like seen something on our Instagram or they, they have an idea in their head. And so they relay that to, um, the person running the session. And then ultimately it's up to the person who's working in the studio to guide them through that process and to kind of evaluate their artistic ability of what they can and can't do show them sort of like the barriers of, why this may not work on a sneaker or how you can adapt it to work on a sneaker. And then we just sort of guide you through every single step from there. And then you're in there for about two to two and a half hours. And the end you walk out with like a fully wearable waterproof, um, customized sneaker. So it's a lot of fun. That's dope. That's yeah. It's dope. Really cool. So you're also starting another business yes. called make way. In the middle another of a, idea, another idea, I was incapable of letting go <laughs> in the middle of a pandemic as well. You know, yeah. um, I think, you know, in this conversation, it shows you have, you have tunnel vision, you know, you just, if there's an idea, you're just going for it and you're not, you know, getting distracted. Yep. Um, but why, why now out of, you know, of all times, what inspired you to start a business like this, especially during a pandemic? So my original, I wanted to start make way back in June. Okay. So to me, I'm already quite behind on my schedule <laughs> in my head. But obviously, June was very much in the middle of a pandemic. Like, retail stores weren't even open at that time. Um, it was just not the right time. I opened Mac Coaster in, like, the middle of the NBA Finals for the Raptors. So, you know, I like to challenge myself. Um, I think it's always, like, you know, it's good to push your boundary a little bit, see what you can and can't do. But... I'm less worried about the pandemic and I'm more encouraged by like where the sneaker industry is going and like what gaps need to be filled in ASAP. Uh, I think the sneaker industry, um, the sneaker brands specifically are really pushing all in on women's. They're coming out with all these amazing collaborations. There's so many good women's silhouettes coming out in the next two years. They're pushing all in on women's sneakers and they see the growth potential in that market. And they see that that market is like, worth their time and worth their money and worth their inventory. And I think like every, if you look across every brand, that's the case, but the retail experience has not caught up, unfortunately. And 
women who are sneakerheads and women who engage in sneaker culture are so used to living in places and spaces that weren't built for them. Mm. I shop in men's sneaker stores all the time. I, I wear men's apparel. Like I have to go in, try it on, see if it fits right. Not because it's always men's sizes. Mm. If they do have women's stuff, it's kind of like tossed in a corner somewhere. It's a very limited selection. When they dropped the, the, one of the first like women's Jordan apparel collections in like years I had to go to three different stores to see all the items because I wanted to buy everything. Cause I'm like, this is dope. This is an iconic moment in like women's culture, sneaker or sneaker culture. Like I want to be a part of it. I want to support it. And I had to go to like three different stores to like see everything and pick what I wanted and try it on. And so the, the shopping landscape for women in the space has always been super difficult. And for a long time, there was sort of this like idea that the market wasn't there and that's why nobody was doing it. And that's just not true. I don't think it ever was true, but it's really not true now. And everybody can see that and everybody knows that. And the numbers and the data show that. This is very true. I mean, you go to, you go to these, I used to be a really crazy sneakerhead. You know, you'll go to these, um, you go to the conventions and you'll see a huge amount of women there. Like huge, huge. huge. So, I mean, that's a, this is a great initiative that you're taking. I, I don't know why something like this, doesn't exist. I don't know if something like this does exist, but I haven't seen it before. Um, it doesn't exist in Canada. Um, okay. It it did. Um, Community Fifty Four opened a women's store probably about it's probably about five years ago now in mm-hmm. Toronto, and um, they ultimately ended up closing it. I think they were just a little bit before their time, but they were on the right track, a hundred percent. And I think there was a lot of good learnings that came out of that. Um, but yeah, as far as like a standalone sneaker store that's fully catered to women. It doesn't exist in Canada, U.S. There's some iterations of it. Most of them are affiliated with uh, an already existing like men's sneaker store, and where it really exists is overseas in Europe, Australia. Um, you have Naked um, in um, Amsterdam. You have um, Pam Pam in London. There's some really good ones in Australia and New Zealand. So it definitely exists and is quite a healthy business over in Europe and um, Australia, New Zealand, New Zealand, Japan, China. You know, it exists over there, but not really in North America. Okay. I'll be sure to take uh, my girl and my, my sister out to the store on the launch. For yeah, sure. you'll have to. We're going to be opening like mid-November, basically. So we should have a day here soon. Got you. Got you. So you're doing all of these initiatives. You're working full-time with the Toronto Raptors. You have two businesses on the go. Mm-hmm. I want to know what keeps you going. Cause there has to be a deeper meaning because you're doing some major work here. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like my inability to sit still. <laughs> so like for me, it's like, if I'm not going to fill my time, I'm not going to be happy just sitting around. So I might as well fill it with things that are like purposeful and meaningful. And I think like, I've always sort of, I just, I like doing a lot. And I think I function better doing a lot. Like I am at my best when I'm like getting close to my max of the things that I can take on. And I've, the more I take on, the more things that I take on, I think the better I get as a person. And I think the, the more I grow and the more I develop and the more I'm challenged. And that ultimately is like what makes me happy. So yeah. And I think a lot of what I do is, has a greater community impact in mind. Like a huge part of Mecca is a huge part of what Big Way is going to be is about like bringing people together, creating safe spaces, creating moments of connection, creating leadership and mentorship opportunities.
opportunities for the next generation. Like so much of what I do focuses around that and that type of um, providing that type of resource and providing those spaces to like people coming up, the things that we didn't have um, is really important for me. And, and I am the type of person that is fulfilled and happy by making other people happy and fulfilling other people, I guess would be the best way to describe it. So, and that maybe not in a way that I need other people's approval, but I'm at my best when I get to give to the people that I love and give to people who I feel like are like me when I was younger or things like that. So that's when I'm at my happiest. And so if I can do that in the basketball space, if I can do that in the, I guess, sneaker customizing space and then the sneaker space, like that makes me really happy. So it's sort of like this, as much as it is for like the greater good, it's also for me to feel like fulfilled and to feel happy. And so there's selfish reasons for everything that we do. We don't really do anything that doesn't serve us, you know? So it's just about figuring out like, what does that actually give you? And why is that important to you? Got you. Got you. So getting back to basketball, what, what felt better that provincial championship, you know, in Halifax or the raps NBA championship? First of all, don't forget. I won a G league championship too in the middle there. Oh, geez. I forgot about that. So you got to give me a little bit of credit on that. No, you know what? Um, the G League one was the most personally gratifying because it like, not to be rude, but a lot of the G League championship doesn't have the shine of an NBA championship. It doesn't have the, um, the global impact of, of a NBA championship. So that, that one felt most personally gratifying because I'd moved over to the basketball side, took a big risk and it worked out. And like, so that was a really cool experience for me. The NBA one was crazy. It was really cool. I, like that is something that will never, it'll never happen again because it'll never be the first one. Yes. So yes. it's never going to be like that again. Even if we win or when we win again, it'll still be amazing. And I know I'm still going to have a great time, but it'll never be like that that was crazy. It was like the first one, the first NBA championship for Toronto, for Canada. I got to take the trophy home to Nova Scotia, like the parade, like everything about that whole summer was just like insane. So I got to give it to the NBA one. Honestly, I'd like to give <laughs> like a cooler, more like thoughtful answer. But that shit was so sick. <laughs> yeah. I, I knew about the, I knew about the G league one. I didn't mention it because I just wanted to test you to make sure that, you didn't forget about it, so I never forget. You pass the test. Can't forget about. Can't forget about the rings. <laughs> yeah, that that was just a crazy, crazy, crazy experience. And and I'll I'll wholeheartedly admit, like I'm a big Vince Carter fan. Like die, yep. like high school, I was always arguing Vince. I love Vince. Ever since Vince left, I've never had that same connection. You're off us. Yeah. So, but when they won, I was back on the train. Brought you back? We brought you back in, huh? Back on the train. <laughs> I mean, if that doesn't do it for you, I don't know what would. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So Shelby, who are your favorite WNBA players and NBA players? Whoa, man. I love so many. The W is such a like, cool place for me because I just, the, I just love the W Rose, not because of the basketball, but just like everything that they are like mm -hmm. as the league, as women, as teams, like as a whole, the women who play in the W are just like 
they just like blow my mind on like a consistent basis. Like they've been pulling up for social and racial justice. They've been pulling up for communities. They've been pulling up for women's Mm -hmm. rights and women's empowerment, like all while playing a W season. And what a lot of people don't know is that they play year round. They play their W season. They may have five days off then they go overseas. Then they play for the national teams or Olympic teams or world teams. Like these women do not stop all while raising children. Jeez. Like I just like literally you could like any NBA WNBA content of anything to do with the women, the W just like put it in IV and just like lock it into me and just let it go. Like it does. I like the W to me is such a, inspirational and aspirational thing for women to have and for girls to have like it's just so important like representation is so important and those women could not be better role models for any young girl whether she's a basketball player or not like they just do it all and I'm just like constantly in awe of of them of the league of the of where the league is going and watching it sort of like finally get the respect and the love it deserves and the attention it deserves. We've got a long way to go, but man, those girls are like something. I shouldn't call them girls, but I say that with, um, with a lot of respect, but they're just so sick. And even just like the women who cover the W and like the women who run the W, like the basketball side, like there's just, there's so many women in that side of the business of the, of the NBA business that I just like can't wrap my mind around. Like they just, I'm just so in awe. So anyways, um, who are my favorite W players? Uh, obviously Sue Bird, like one of the greatest of all time. Um, I love Tasha Cloud. Like I think everything that she represents from what she's given up to commit to her, to, to commit to a, a greater community purpose has been incredible. Maya Moore, same thing. Um, I, Just, yeah, I think those girls are just so sick and so dope. Like, Brianna Stewart, like, these these girls are just, like, so lead at their craft. And just, you know, and they've got to shout out the Canadian W girls, Kia Nurse, Kayla Alexander. Like, there's a lot of really amazing Canadian women that play in the W, too, who are doing really good things back in the community here. So, yeah, I'm, I'm forever, forever in awe of the W. NBA, um, Kobe was my favorite player growing up. Kobe and Junkyard Dog, Jerome Williams. Classic. That was my favorite Raptor player. I liked Vince too, but JYD had it for me. I was wearing headbands and knee-high socks the whole <laughs> time. Um, it's hard for me to pick a current player because obviously it's different for me. But historically, like those are the the two players that were my favorite growing up from an NBA standpoint. Got you, got you. So what's next for Shelby? <sighs> Well, I probably need more hours in the day. So if someone can figure out how to extend the 24 to like a 28, 30 day, 30 hour day, that would be, that would be like my ultimate dream. I think for me, what's next is just like taking things as they come, continuing to try to like be elite at everything that I do um, with a third business coming. It's a new chapter. It's going to be a new adjustment, new growth, new time constraints. And so I'm going to have to figure out how to like level up to that. Um, so yeah, I think just trying to manage what I have on my plate now and do a really good job of it. I would say I'm, I'm pretty like short-term focused right now. Um, I just want to figure out how to, how to manage what I have and, and do a really good job of it. And ultimately, hopefully, um, inspire others to do the same. 
Got you. Okay. This is a purpose round where entrepreneurs, creatives, and social impactors are asked a series of questions that highlight their true purpose. So welcome to the purpose round where we ask the right questions that really bring out the purpose behind our entrepreneurs in their journey. Shelby, what is your purpose? My purpose is to leave people and places better than what I found them. Okay. And what's your morning routine like? My normal morning routine in non-COVID time is usually I get up and I work out right away, um, come home, shower, try to take like 15, 20 minutes to myself to eat and just catch up on the news and then get going. Um, so I usually always try to work out in the mornings. I find my days get out of control really fast and every like there's just so many things that I need to get done. If I don't work out in the morning, it probably won't get done. So that's a huge priority for me and like both my physical and mental health. During COVID, I've switched that up a little bit, but the first thing I do when they get up in the morning is try to go for a walk. So I've been walking a lot during COVID. I love walking. I think like it gives me such peace and such, I don't know, joy. Like I've walked every day during COVID and every day I go on a walk, I'm just like, this is the best. Like the novelty just doesn't wear off for me. So um, yeah, just get up in the morning, go for a walk, have a bite to eat and try to get my day, day organized. I think that's my morning routine. Okay. And if you could have a conversation with one entrepreneur or creative, living or dead, who would it be and why? I thought about this question a lot and I was having a hard time coming up with an answer because there's just so many people that I'm impressed by or that I would love to like have a chance to speak with. Um, Man, this one's hard. I know. Have you have you met Colby? Yeah. Yeah. How was that experience like? Crazy. Like it's even crazier now that he's gone. I think like I actually had the opportunity to spend some time with him and actually get to know him, and we sort of carried on like a very, um, like when I would see him after that at games, whether it be in LA or Toronto, like we'd always have some good chats and catch up. Um, yeah, it was incredible. I think like he's exactly who you think he is. Mm. And I think exactly who you expect him to be. I think you, if you ever get a chance to like meet your heroes or meet your role models, like it's sometimes disappointing because you yes. have this idea in your head of what they're going to be. And sometimes they fall short and like he didn't fall short at all. And I think for me, some of those conversations have been super impactful and I've carried with me like, we talked a lot about women's basketball and like directed by him. Like that was conversation that he brought up and that sort of like passion he had for women's basketball, like started long before when he stopped playing and started coaching his daughter and, um, you know, bringing her to W games and you know, that, that passion started long before that. And he had respect for the women's game long before that. And so, yeah, that was pretty amazing. That might've been one of them, but I've, I've already gotten the chance to do that. Um, I think probably, Probably some of the other ones that I, I would like, and it's not really creative or entrepreneurs, but like the Ruth Bader Ginsburg's of the world, like women that have 
women that have worked past and fought for like legal and political barriers, um, women who have survived, women who have survived like unconsciousable like circumstances, like the Marsha P. Johnsons of the world, like those types of women who like basically paved the way for all of us to be able to do what we do and actually like be able to get these types of jobs, even though, you know, things aren't always perfect. Mm-hmm. That's probably who I would say they're probably not creative or entrepreneur based, but like sort of like those trailblazing women who like broke down legal and political barriers that were like put in place to oppress them. Like that's probably where I would, where my mind would go. Got you. And what would you say was your most impactful moment and what did you learn from it? My most impactful moment was probably just moving to Toronto. I think like that was a big move for me. I was a bit of a homebody. I loved the East coast and I learned to be very uncomfortable. I learned to be by myself. Um, maybe not like I was very much an independent, self-sufficient kid, but learning to just be by yourself, like go on a walk yourself, go to dinner by yourself. I didn't have a lot of friends here when I moved here. I didn't really have anybody. So, um, learning to just be at peace with yourself was like a huge part of that process. I think that was like really impactful for me. Okay. And if you could build a business from the ground up with only a hundred dollars, how would you leverage that? I probably wouldn't build the business right away. I'd probably like invest. I'd probably find like different ways to like grow my money or different opportunities to like learn from other people's mistakes. And then I would wait a bit and then open the business when I had more money, when I turned that hundred dollars into more money and then I would open the business. Okay. And what's the best advice you've ever received? It's not personal. It's just business. Yeah. (laughs) And what are your top three most influential books? Oh, that's a good one. Miracle of St. Anthony's, one of my favorite books of all time. Um, it's about like a high school basketball program in New Jersey. It's just like a wonderful book. Um, Piece of Cake by Cupcake Brown. So really, it's like a biography of her life. Um, really interesting. My third one is probably... Ooh, that's a hard one. Probably the five agreements. Hmm. Okay. One book that I really like, um, that you mentioned because you're, I know you're doing so much and I'm, I'm actually a big fan of them. It's called, um, deep work by Cal Newport. I don't know if you heard about it. Oh no, I haven't heard. I haven't read that one. Yeah. It's deep, surreal, work? deep work. Yeah. Okay. He really, he really, um, talks a lot about how to like really focus and maximize your time and in, in efficient ways, right? Cool. Depending on the lifestyle that you have, if it's busy and fast like yours or if mm-hmm. it's slow pace, he really, you know, and he's coming out with a planner as well. I really love the stuff he does. Love so, a good planner. Yeah. Check, check him out. I like that. That sounds good. I'll check that out. That sounds sick. And tell us something that you think is true about business that most people don't agree with you on. 
not always about the bottom line. Okay. I think like you can make, obviously you want your business to be profitable, but I think when you prioritize profit over everything, you actually damage your business more in the long term. Powerful. And is there any last piece of value you can leave with our listeners? Man. Um, probably just let it go. I say this, like everybody always says like, what would you tell your younger self? So I guess this would be something I could share with other people. It's just like learning how to let things go. I think I spent a lot of time dwelling on things that I either did or I wasn't sure about or insecurities and fears and like, I don't really remember what I was scared about. I don't remember the things that I was like fretting over, but I do remember the anxiety that it gave me to like dwell on them. I remember that. And just being able to let things go and like not think too much would be my piece of advice. But that is way easier said than done. It is. It is. I like that advice though, for sure. Sometimes as people, we try to take on too much, um, and, you know, we got to we gotta maximize our time and, and be more efficient, right? And just focus on what's purposeful and just stick with that for sure. That type of mental, like the type of mental capacity that th- that fretting on those things takes up is just like could be so much better used to something else. Very true. Very true. Shelby, appreciate you coming on the show today. No problem. Thank you for having me. It was good chatting with you. It will be nice that if I can meet you in person someday, whenever that day would be. Maybe next year. We'll try next year, 2021. Let's try for next year. Let's try for next year. Have a wonderful day. All right. And thank you, Purposeful Story family, for listening to the Purposeful Story podcast. And remember, live every day with purpose so all your actions are clear. Talk soon. This episode was brought to you by my senior editor, Podcast Doc. And the beats were created by DJ Nana. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. All it does is drive more listeners to the podcast as we continue to share more purposeful stories to your eardrums. Thanks again for listening. Talk soon.